Welcome to Biblical Perspectives on Aging, the podcast where you and your church will find answers to the difficult questions that arise as we grow older. On behalf of the Baptist Home, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brames. I am here with Dr. Jeremiah Johnston today, and Dr. Johnston is the founder, he is the primary uh, person for Christian Thinkers Society. Uh, Dr. Johnston, could you just share a little bit about the society and your role as an apologist in general? Yeah, Andy, it's so great to be with you and just say hello to everyone at the Baptist Home. What an incredible mission over 100 years, and I'm just honored to be included uh, ministering to those that are listening right now and those that are watching. It's so neat that we have this medium to talk. I'm actually broadcasting or being recorded by uh, from Houston, Texas, where we live. So um, if you haven't been to the nation of Texas, definitely come to the nation when you can. But Andy, you know, the passion of my life is training believers in Jesus Christ to follow the great commandment to love God with their heart, soul, and mind. And I think that's such a powerful verse that we see in the scriptures and the gospels, you know, Jesus is asked by, it's either by the nomikos in one gospel or by the grammatus in the other, by the Pharisees and the scribes, the experts in the law, teacher, what is the greatest commandment? And you remember that there were 613 in the Pentateuch to choose from. And Jesus says, he actually, he quotes the Shema, but he changes it. He modifies it. Only Jesus can do. And he says, you know, the Shema's you know, love God with your heart, soul, strength, Jesus adds, and your mind. We need to have a thinking faith. And so, you know, when we have a thinking faith, it penetrates every aspect uh, when we think the way God wants us to think. I was studying in my devotions recently that powerful Christ hymn in Philippians 2.5, let this mind be in you, this attitude, this mindset be in you, which is also in Christ Jesus. So, you know, the Bible has a lot to say about how we think. And so it's been my privilege. Um, I, I was educated at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary, Midwestern Baptist College. My wife and I were in local ministry, but thanks to the wonderful professors there, including Dr. Rodney Harrison, who I hope to share my admiration for at some point in this interview, because he made a profound impact on both my wife, Audrey, and me and our family. But I was exposed to some excellent thinkers who loved Jesus Christ. They loved the scriptures. And they were effective on the front lines. And so as an apologist, um, you know, I, that was something I aspired to be. But I will say this about my ministry. And I think for those that are listening, like I became my ministry before I ever wanted to have a ministry. Does that make sense to you? Sure, like I just, I just became my ministry. Like um, I, I, I wanted to be a Christian thinker myself. I had a lot of questions, still do. And it's neat that God is a big boy. He can take our difficult questions. And so to make a long story short, my wife, I ended up doing a PhD and, uh, and also an MA and had the privilege, but all, all the end game was always Christian Thinker Society. Even when I was in England working on my, on my PhD, my terminal degree, the end game was not to join the ivory tower. It was to help people just like those that are listening to us and watching us right now to encourage their faith with the great evidences, the great answers for our faith, but not just so we could just be intellectual about it, but that so we could be holistic and have a vibrant faith that impacts our community. And gosh, do we need it right now more than ever. And so we launched Christian Thinker Society. I'm overwhelmed by it. Um, it's my privilege to write books and Bible studies, and we've done podcasts and media and events. And of course, we love the local church. Um, but I, I have to say this, Andy, can I just tell you about Dr. Harrison for a moment? Oh, do you mind? Oh, please do. Um, please do. So 
I hope all of you listening have had a chance to meet Dr. Harrison, the president of the Baptist Home. Um, <laughs> I'll never forget as a seminary student, Dr. Harrison wanted to teach us how to pray more effectively. And that's something I certainly am still working on in my sure. own life. Um, and so what does he do? He doesn't take us to a monastery. He doesn't take us to a chapel. We go in the middle of a very busy Starbucks and we all sit in a circle and, you know, we have our coffee as I do now. Then he said, you know what, we're going to learn how to pray in public for each other. And I'm just going to start praying with my eyes open, locked on to the person across the circle where we were sitting from Dr. Harrison. And then we all just started one at a time, locking eyes as if I'm locking eyes with you, praying sure. for you in the middle of the Starbucks. Now, have you ever prayed for someone like without breaking eye contact? I don't it's know a little, It's a little awkward. You, what did you say? I don't, I don't know that I have. <laughs> yeah, it's, it's a little awkward. Um, but what a lesson on prayer that Dr. Harrison taught us that day. Isn't it amazing? Here I am as someone who's been privileged to study at some of the highest levels, and I look back and Dr. Harrison taking us out in the public place to Starbucks, we weren't being obnoxious. I mean, if you just saw us and you couldn't hear us, you would just think we were talking to each other, but we were all praying for each other. And I've just never forgotten that. Dr. Harrison is such a wonderful leader, such a wonderful Christian man. And, and again, his mentorship is evidenced in my life and now what I'm doing with Christian Thinker Society, as are so many of the great professors um, that I've had the privilege, my wife and I both, to, to, uh, to, to just learn under their wonderful tutelage. So sorry for the long answer, but that's the history. No, that's, that's wonderful. Thank you. And I, I think that will help uh, many, both within the Baptist home, within the organization, know a little bit more about Dr. Harrison and how he, uh, as, as I've joked before, you know, many people try to think outside the box. Dr. Harrison, I'm not certain knows that there is a box. So, that's right. You know, that's a, that's a way of, uh, of communicating that as, as you've shared to, in helping people learn to pray in a, in a different place in a different way. So, well, that's right. wonderful. Well, as a part of your thinking, uh, as you said, you, you do many things, you speak, you speak in churches, you speak in conferences, uh, but a part of that is writing books, Dr. Johnson. And, and so you've re recently written a book, I'm not even certain it's released yet, oh. uh, about the Shalom of God. So yeah. explain Shalom a little bit for our audience and, and where you got the idea overall for writing the book. Well, a Christian Thinkers Society, and I would encourage people to check out our website at christianthinkers.com. One of the neat hallmarks of our ministry is we've received questions from believers all over not only America, but the United Kingdom and just people connecting with us from wherever they're at. And Andy, to answer your specific question, I began to notice after receiving hundreds and even thousands of questions from people that believers had so many questions about anxiety, about depression, about the blues, you, you call it whatever you want in your generation, but we can call it anxiety, we can call it depression. And these whole challenges that, you know, we love Jesus Christ with all our heart, and yet we sometimes challenge with physical dysfunctions of the brain. And so here I am, I've done my PhD on the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, and I've written widely, and uh, but I've written widely about unanswered questions. And I began to notice that there were so many questions from Christians who were struggling, and they were not living that, that life that God wants to, to live that's called shalom, to flourish. And so, you know, you don't want to write a book that people aren't asking questions about, right? Um, right. You know, there's so much in the seminary level. I hate to say we, at, at the seminary, and I can say this as, a prof as someone who has been a professor, 
we sometimes are answering questions in higher education that no one is asking in the real world. <laughs> and uh, this is a real world question. And so I began to notice this all the way back, not to date this podcast, but years ago, um, just so many people struggling, suicide, depression, anxiety. And um, wow, uh, that, that has only been magnified through recent events. And so this is an issue that was also an issue in the time of Jesus. It was an issue for individuals in the New Testament. And so how do I answer this huge question about anxiety, depression, without getting pigeonholed into like a mental health book or a, a book that is, um, I wanted to have a book that would touch people's hearts in a very positive way. And so as I'm a gospel scholar, that's my area of training. And Jesus spoke a lot about this word shalom. It shows up 550 or so times in the scriptures. And Andy, I think next to Jesus's own name, it is the most wonderful word in the scriptures, shalom. And it's something that those of us as followers of Jesus are very, uh, I don't know if it's because of our distance from Israel. I don't know if it's our lack of understanding of shalom, but did you know God wants us to flourish? He wants us to flourish in mind. He wants us to flourish in our relationship with him. And Jesus actually goes so far in his Sermon on the Mount to say that, you know, the Christian life should be almost like giggly, you know, and I don't mean by silly, but I mean happy. Golly, we're victorious in Jesus Christ, and we need to we need to live that truth in our life. And so, how do we do it? And so, I I want I wrote a book called Unleashing Peace, and how you can experience the shalom of God in your personal pursuit of happiness. And it's uh, over sixty thousand words. I was honored that Pastor Greg Laurie wrote the foreword, uh, a man who um, God has used tremendously, but they lost their son tragically in an automobile accident and to hear his his expression of how you can experience peace the shalom the flourishing of god even amidst adversity and tragedy even was so powerful so it was very uh relevant to the forward of the book and so i ask a lot of hard-hitting questions and we we go i have the privilege to go through what what does shalom look like and then how do we live it out and then specifically maybe we can get into it a little more how do we experience the peace of God in our life as Christians? Because I'm sure many of the individuals living, uh, watching and listening to us right now, you've been a Christian for a long time. And there are things that you have experiences in your faith that have developed your own personal experience of the peace of God. But it's something that Paul was always learning and the Apostle Paul was always sharing about. So that's, that, that's the big idea of the book, but very practical in nature as well. Oh, wonderful. Uh, thank you for sharing that. So uh, let's let's begin to go there a little bit, Jeremiah, with what keeps us from desiring that? We, we realize that anxiety is a part of our lives, as you said, recent events, 2020, now into 2021. Uh, we see a lot of things that, that preoccupy our minds, keep us from God. But, but could you get a little bit specific with that? And then relatedly, what are some things that steal that peace, that, that shalom uh, that we all desire, but, but that we're not willing to, uh, to really go forth to find ourselves. What, what, would, what are some things you would say towards that? Well, there's so many directions that we can go. Um, the first place that I would go would be to the book of Habakkuk, actually, because um, I find this fascinating. And I actually have my Bible open to the book of Habakkuk. Some of us, um, we pray far too religiously. Um, we're, we're not really honest with God about what we're facing. 
and honest at the level of Lord, I don't understand what, what just happened in my life or father, you know, I, I can't, I can't reconcile um, my experiences with your promises. Can you help me? And in the book of Habakkuk, if you take time to read the 56 verses in the book of Habakkuk, it's so powerful because again, let's just set the, set the, the uh, cultural, uh, what was going on from a Bible background. He was getting ready to prophesy the doom of Judah. Nebuchadnezzar, God was raising up to destroy Judah. And when you think about that, that's your responsibility to prophesy that. And in, in Habakkuk chapter one, Habakkuk does what's called lament prayers. Now, it's a super spiritual term to say lament. It's more like complaining to God. Did you know you can complain to God? Like it's not a sin to complain to God. Okay. It's not a sin to lament. This is where that point comes in that we pray far too religiously sometimes. How long, O Lord, must I call for help and you do not listen or cry to you about violence and you do not save? Habakkuk was like screaming from the bottom of his hearts, Lord, I need your help. And you know, what's powerful is, and, and this is the big point from the book, one of the, one of the big points. It's not original to me, but I think I've stood on the shoulders of some great thinkers before me. This whole notion that in the Christian life, we cannot live on explanations. We have to live on the promises of God. We cannot live on explanations. We're going to live on the promises of God, which goes, so God, God's first answer to Habakkuk comes in verse 5. And, 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 and he's like, hey, Habakkuk, don't worry, I'm here. Uh, you're not going to have to wait too much longer. I'm raising up Nebuchadnezzar to literally annihilate and to, to decimate Judah. And you can imagine that just probably caused an even greater panic attack because in Habakkuk's first concern is just the injustice that he sees in Judah with, with his fellow people. Uh, now he realizes God is raising up an even more wicked enemy to destroy Judah. God, how can you do this? Um, how can you do this? And the Lord answers in Habakkuk chapter two, so powerfully. And he says, first and foremost, he says, I am doing, he said, write it down in verse two. And again, he uses this passage that I think is probably Andy, one of the most misquoted passages in all of the Bible. You've probably heard this from Habakkuk where God literally says, I'm doing something in your midst that if anyone were to tell it to you, you wouldn't believe it. And we've heard that real positive kind of description, haven't we? Like God's doing something so great, you wouldn't believe it even if he told you. Well, no, God was doing something you wouldn't believe if he told you it was just going to get a lot worse. Now, I can relate to that in the last year. I, maybe some of you guys can relate to that when you look at what's happening. And it's powerful. Habakkuk goes from lamenting and he realizes he has to live by faith. Habakkuk 2.4, the just will live by faith. A passage that's quoted in Romans, Galatians, Hebrews, right before the great hall of faith, where we hear 20 times, by faith, by faith, by faith. It's in Hebrews 10 that the author of Hebrews goes back to Habakkuk. The righteous one will live by faith. And so, again, we faith those promises of God. Now, here's the really cool thing, and I, I don't want to preach, Andy, but I'm so passionate about how we can have this peace in our life. God ends his answer, his second answer to Habakkuk in Habakkuk chapter 2, and he says, the Lord is in his holy temple. Let the whole earth be silent in his presence. Now, because we're reading that in English, not in Hebrew, we miss the Hebrew onomatopoeia. Now, that's a fun word, an onomatopoeia. 
It's the word has in Hebrew. Um, it's like, shh. Now, I'm a dad of five kids, including triplet boys. So I do hush shh, a lot and a lot sure. louder than that. God ends his, his answer, which is just, he gives them a revelation of how great he is. He doesn't answer specific. He goes, I'm just going to show you how great I am. That's what God does when we, when we get to know him more. And he says, Habakkuk, hush, I'm in total control. Be silent before me. And then in Habakkuk chapter three, Andy, there's probably the most beautiful psalm in all the Old Testament. And it ends with this beautiful thing, though the fig does not bud and there's no fruit on the vines, though the olive crop fails and the fields produce no food, though the flocks disappear from the pen and there are no herds in the stall, yet I will celebrate in the Lord. I will rejoice in the God of my salvation. Listen to verse 19. The Lord, my Lord, is my strength. He makes my feet like those of a deer. He enables me to walk on mountain heights. That's how Habakkuk ends. So he goes from lamenting, which it's okay to lament. So that would be the first step of peace to faithing the faithfulness of God. He gets a greater vision of God and then he's at peace. And it really reminds me of Prince Caspian. I've been reading uh, the Chronicles of Narnia to the, the entire series. We're now in the final book, but back in book uh, in the book Prince Caspian, uh, for those of you that have read the Chronicles of Narnia, when Lucy sees Aslan finally again for a second time, because she had met him obviously in the Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, she sees Aslan and he's so big, and. And she goes, Aslan, have you gotten bigger? And Aslan's response is no, but every year you grow, you will find me bigger. Mm -hmm. And, you know, the more we get to know the grandeur and the greatness of God, the bigger God gets in our life. Mm -hmm. And honestly, the smaller our problems get. Doesn't mean we don't acknowledge them. Of course we do. We can lament about them. And we need to have, um, as, as believers, we can have the tendency to just want to throw a Bible verse on someone who's hurting and kind of slap them on the back. That's not what we see in the scriptures. We mourn with those who mourn. We hurt. We acknowledge the hurt. We acknowledge the suffering. We see it. We set with it. And yet we still look for those promises of God, not the explanation. So a big part of my book is trying to help people get from this point of God. Why has this happened to God? I can trust you. I can trust you. I may not know the answer, but I know I can trust you. That's that's a great word for us all. I thank you for that. I, I want to transition more specifically. This podcast is built around issues of aging and, and having a, uh, as the title of the podcast, biblical perspectives on aging. Uh, obviously, we all deal with anxiety, but those anxieties change over time. They change right. uh, in focus and such. So what would you say about God's peace, about that shalom? Uh, for those who are facing uncertainties that come with aging? How, how can his peace, how can the peace of God help those who are aging? Well, that is such a good point. And praise God for, the, for everyone who's listening to this right now. And you're, you're dealing with questions that um, many people have. And you have this opportunity as someone who is aging to share those great wonderful, not secrets, but truths that you've learned about the faithfulness of God in your life. But it doesn't mean that we don't need the peace of God every day, even as we age. And all I can do, Andy, is go back to the scriptures, because in Philippians chapter four, I believe the greatest anti-worry, anti-anxiety passage in the Bible 
And again, that's not original to me. A lot of people believe that is Philippians chapter four, where the apostle Paul gives this beautiful description of how we can experience the peace of God in our life. And so we do that. And the big point that I want to come to is we, we experience the peace of God through thinking. Now in Philippians chapter four, I have my Bible open to Philippians chapter four. If anyone wants to follow along with me, it begins, you know, rejoice in the Lord. Again, I say rejoice. By the way, this is the only New Testament book that picks up that theme of rejoicing in the Lord. And where does, where's one of the primary passages? It comes out of the book of Habakkuk. I think Paul was familiar with Habakkuk chapter three. <laughs> rejoice in the Lord. I say rejoice. Let your graciousness be known to everyone. The Lord is near. And so for those of us who are aging, we can claim this passage too. For those that are aging right now watching us, um, the Lord is near to you, number one. So how do I experience peace? I always recognize the presence of God. The Lord is near. Now, here's what's really cool. Let your graciousness be known. The Lord is near. Verse six. Now, this is where it gets powerful. Don't worry about anything. But in everything through prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. That's a beautiful promise. Now, here's the antidote for worry. If you're aging, if you're listening to this podcast, if you're concerned about things, and who isn't? Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever. Now, he gives six adjectives, two nouns, and one verb in Philippians 4.8. He says, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable. If there's any moral excellence, if there's any praiseworthy, and now this translation says dwell on these things. It's literally the Greek word, think about these things, measure them, account them in your life, um, appropriate these things to your life, think on these things. So here's the answer to your question. How can we have peace? Andy, if someone's aging, watching this broadcast and just concerned, peace comes through thinking first and foremost. The peace of God is not a skill that we're born with. It is a discipline that we learn in our life through thinking through the implications of our beliefs. And that's where Paul says you can experience peace. We recognize the Lord is near, but then we have to think about what we're thinking about, don't we? Because the mind is a battlefield. We have to think about what we're thinking about. And you don't have to agree with every thought that comes to your head. You can kick those thoughts to the curb. You don't have to get on the train of certain thoughts of worry. And the Paul keeps saying, these are the things you need to dwell on. And then the peace of God will literally garrison and protect your hearts. So let's get practical on that for just a moment. Obviously, as you said, Paul gives a list of attributes to think through uh, adjectives and the noun, the, the verbs there somebody is is struggling whether it's a health issue maybe it's a uh, a middle-aged person worried about their parent uh, who is aging whatever that might be how how would you recommend that they take these principles these thinking taking the emotions out of it right that's the beauty of thought is is we begin to strip the emotions out of it how would you recommend that somebody apply these attributes that paul mentions in philippians 4 to move the dial of their anxiety, uh, realizing it's a process, you know, it's not going to, yeah. there's not a, a switch to flip, but to move that dial so that their anxiety drops, that they feel more of that shalom of God. 
we have to continue every day to bring God's truth in our life. And so it, it, it's what spiritual deposits are you going to make into your life today? It happens every day. God promises grace for today, doesn't he? His grace is sufficient for today. Worry wants us to go catastrophic about the past, catastrophic about the future. Everything's going to go terrible. God will give me grace today. I need to be faithful with what God has put in front of me today. I need to invite God through prayer to intervene in my life at every place. And so I think that going back to Habakkuk, prayer is so crucial for the peace of God. And then secondly, bringing the promises of God over your life. You cannot do that without the scriptures. And we have to continue to bring truth over our life. I don't care if it's an apologetics, if you want to talk about the physical bodily resurrection of Jesus, or if God exists, or why we can trust the Bible, or if there was a historical Jesus, or if you're just struggling with anxiety today. If you have an upcoming surgical procedure, if you're worried about a child, we have to bring the truth of God over our life and over these situations. And then we have a choice. I can either get lost in why did this happen, or I can get literally stationary in the truth of God's promises. And so we have to live in God's promises, not in explanations. No one lived on explanations in the scriptures. All of them lived on the promises of God. And so at a very practical level, I think those are the tools. What spiritual deposits am I making today? Because worry, you know, you just, it gets us nowhere. You know, it gets us nowhere. And I'm not minimizing that. But I'm just saying we have to come up with solutions. And it's amazing, too, how God will give us wisdom when we pray, when we quiet our hearts before the Lord, when we cry out to God and we share all of it and the unvarnished reality and the clear, you know, as clearly as, as we can. God gives us wisdom when we ask him, doesn't he? And then you'll begin to see things move and change in your life. But there is a promise of scripture. I mean, you think about Paul in Colossians, let the peace of Christ rule in your heart. In Thessalonians, the Lord of peace be with you. I think Paul, and I got Robert Morgan thought this, a friend of mine who wrote about it. Um, I think Paul was a professional worrier. And so if you're a professional worrier, you're in really good company because Paul kept going back to the peace of God in his life. Well, great explanation. Thank you again. Um, Dr. Justin, we, we could go down this for a long way. You could read your book to us. So we don't have that kind of time, obviously. But what, what else, if you were to kind of wrap up the overall process for, for what you would like to say, how, how, what would you like to leave our listeners with uh, today as a part of this interview? Sometimes, like the Apostle Paul, we have a thorn in our flesh, something we have to live with. And that's so challenging, isn't it? In 2 Corinthians chapter 12, um, and I write about this extensively. It was powerful for me to study 2 Corinthians chapter 12 as I wrote about it. It's a passage that we all quote a lot, but I'm not sure we've really lived in it as much as we need to. The Apostle Paul cries out to the Lord Jesus three times to rescue him from this messenger of Satan, this thorn in his flesh. And, do you, and you know, it's really powerful when you study the Greek of 2 Corinthians 12, the power, the force of the Greek is that when Paul says, the Lord said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, my power is made perfect in weakness, that wasn't an impression that Paul felt in his heart. He actually heard Jesus's words audibly. To put it in technical terms, he hears Jesus in oracular form. Jesus literally says, Paul, my grace is sufficient for you today. 
My power is made perfect in what you're going through. Some of us were like Jacob and Israel. God leaves us with a limp permanently. And we wrestle with them. God, why did you allow this in my life? You know, it might be a health challenge for someone right now who's listening to us at one of the Missouri Baptist home locations. You know, they know they're going to deal with this till they are face to face with Jesus. God will give you grace today. He promises it in his word. And if the apostle Paul can be as effective as he was with something that was, I mean, he asked God three times. So if you want to talk about unanswered prayer, there's really no such thing as unanswered prayer. It's just answered no. And Jesus said, I'm, I'm doing something. I'm doing something different in your life. You can't see why I'm doing this. And so, you know, this isn't a health and wealth gospel, is it, Andy? It's a, it's a presence of Jesus gospel. It's a no matter where we are in life. And I mean, Gary Habermas, another friend of mine, has talked about this. When, when you study the New Testament, the individuals in the New Testament who find themselves in adversity, there is not this miraculous escape ladder. I wish there were. I, you know, I wish every situation was a Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego. You know, we're not burned in the fire. We're walking out. Boom. You know, mic drop. But more often than not, in the New Testament, we see that Jesus' presence with us, and by the way, the presence of Jesus is shalom. Um, his presence is all we need. I'm getting ready to have an operation uh, that was utterly unplanned in my life, and uh, I haven't really shared it publicly. Um, but it's something that God has given me his peace on because even though because of COVID, my wife can't be with me, people can't visit me. I know I'm not alone. Jesus is right there with me. His grace is sufficient. So this isn't just something I write about or speak about. It's something that I'm disciplining myself with. And you better believe leading up to this, Andy, I've been talking about and to myself and thinking about all the spiritual deposits that I'm making in my life. And my gosh, it's amazing how you can call out those promises of scripture. And so if you can meditate on the fact that God's grace is sufficient for you, memorize some, a passage that you can hold on to. And remember when you're sleeping, Jesus is praying for you. You know, he's the great advocate, Lord, I'm going to go to bed now. And I know you've got it all handled. You're in control. God, I'm going to hush before you. I'm going to be quiet because you're in total control. Habakkuk 2.20. Um, so you see how we can call these passages to mind when we're worried and ask God to give us peace. Well, you just hinted at, at one aspect, but I'm going to ask uh, how our audience can pray for you. Uh, and obviously you just mentioned the surgery and, and that puts very much into practice as you've just alluded. Uh, you've written a book about peace. Now you have to put it into practice. And so yeah. uh, God, God does that to us at times, doesn't he? But he does. what are some other ways for, for, for yourself, for your family, for your ministry? Uh, there's obviously people that are prayers uh, who listen to this. So, so what prayer requests might you want to share with our audience today? Well, you're so kind, uh, Andy. Thank you for these wonderful questions. Thank you for just your excellence for this program, by the way, and just all the lead up to it. I've really enjoyed connecting with you. Um, you know, and I hate to, you know, I, I have a prayer request. I have to have a portion of my colon removed. And uh, it's a robotic assisted surgery. I'm blessed to be here in Houston. You know, it's like a medical Mecca in the whole world. Yes. My surgeon is a Christian. Uh, there's so many fun things I could share with you. My daughter's dear friend, her dad is the man who trained the surgeon years ago on robotic assisted surgery. I only learned that later. Um, God has things just so in control. I'm, honestly, I really just want prayers for my wife, Audrey, of 16 years. 
as she takes care of our uh, five children, which includes triplet boys, age four. They are a handful. It's <laughs> my wife and I are already in zone defense. So, you know, we're going to be down a man. So pray for Audrey. Uh, I can't lift for uh, more than 10 pounds for about six weeks. So, you know, it's a little challenging when you take your little guys up and give them baths and stuff. So, you know, again, I would just appreciate your prayers because I have a busy schedule and I want to keep doing what God wants me to do, but I've had a, I've had acute diverticulitis, I think four times uh, in the last few months and I have no idea why. Um, so we're going to get that handled. So I appreciate everyone's prayers. And I, I just hope uh, it's been a privilege for me to minister and just uh, again, to reconnect with Dr. Harrison is, is, is a true honor for me. And I would encourage people to check out our website, christianthinkers.com. Uh, check out our blog. Uh, we have some old podcast radio shows from about 70 some odd shows or more. So there's some resources there for you as well. Oh, wonderful. Give us the website once again, Jeremiah. And also, uh, where can they get a copy of the when, when does the book release? Uh, well, Lord when, willing, they get a copy. Uh, it's going to release in September 2021. So it's in that publishing pipeline. Um, but you'll hear if you just connect with christianthinkers.com, it's there. And then we have other Bible studies. I've written three different Bible studies with Lifeway. And there are, some of those have companion books. So uh, there's some stuff and there's videos, uh, downloadable videos. There's definitely some resources there that you can check out. Okay. Well, again, appreciate uh, thank your time. You, uh, thank you for your prayers for us. Absolutely. Uh, thank you for joining us today and for your insights on peace and, and truly uh, that the peace of God might, might be with you and your family at this time. Amen. So, take care, sir. Thank you. Thank you for joining us for this interview today. The Baptist Home has provided Christ-like care to the aging since 1913. To learn more about the biblically informed resources and solutions provided by the Baptist Home, go to www.thebaptisthome, that's all one word, .org. Again, www.thebaptisthome.org. You will find links to previous podcasts, a growing number of church resources, and detailed information about residential and long-term care communities. Until next time, this is your host, Dr. Andy Brams, asking you to be a voice for the aging.